Welcome to Seven Heads, Ten Horns with Klaus Yoder and Travis Stevens. Hi, welcome back. This fall, I'm starting a new series that's sort of a mini-series internal to the show that will be devoted to the Faust cycle. And if you're wondering what that is, Faust is this paradigmatic figure of the overachiever, quasi-mad scientist, overeducated academic in many iterations who makes a deal with the devil to gain knowledge and power. And I'm going to be exploring how that story works itself out, where it begins, how it evolves, or how people use it to make sense of what's going on in the world around them in history. So, yeah, that's that's the that's the plan. Going to be focusing on Faust, sort of ranging from the sixth century through to the twentieth century and beyond, maybe into the twenty-first century, and. Some of these episodes will be me going solo. Some of them will be with Travis. Some of them might involve other people too. So yeah, looking forward to just getting into the Faust story with all of you. I'm going to start with the kind of prehistory of the Faust story. And this, I became aware of this a few years ago, reading this book in preparation for the for the podcast, sort of the background history, trying to figure out what was interesting. And this guy, French historian Alain Boreau, uh, writes this book the last 20 years called Satan the Heretic. And it's about how, it's about what needed to happen theologically and culturally for the witch persecutions of the late medieval and early modern period to take place. And Boreau argues that the practice of magic, necromancy, neuromancy, like sort of the summoning of demons had to be labeled a heresy in order to be prosecuted by the Inquisition. And so what's interesting about that is you go from having a set of practices and you make them equivalent to bad ideas, bad opinions, heresy. And he has a chapter in this book dedicated, he's got a few chapters actually, but like one of the main ways that this happens is through the identification of like black masses and other kinds of demon conjuring as an as a kind of contract with the devil obviously you're going to see how this pertains to faust if faust the guy who makes the deal with the devil etc and the technical term he uses is the pact i always think of like the the iron pact <laughs> between hitler and stalin that's where my mind goes with pact and he starts with this story of of this guy Theophilus. And basically Theo there's a few versions of the story. It's from the it's from the 6th century. Theophilus was an archdeacon of Adna in Cilicia, which was part of the, the Byzantine emperor. He had this position as being this cleric who served his bishop and basically dispensed alms and gifts to people in need. He was sort of like this innocent person. Uh, the quote that Boro uses, his master was not money, which earned him so much profit that he deserved the love of God. So he has like he's like this really trusted servant of this bishop. His life was so holy that he committed no base act, either for promise or for money. 
and he's like really devoted to the Virgin Mary. This is all going great, except he is then put in this strange position where he is elected to be the person who succeeds the bishop because the bishop he was serving dies. He's elected by the people. He's like very popular. He's very pious. But he refuses for he knew surely that if he agreed to take on such an honor, vainglory, which brings so many evils, might grip him so tightly that it would cause him to stir up a great deal of evil. So he refuses to take this job, but then he is caught in a bind. He's removed from his like sort of nice job as being this person who it's the term is the the vidam. It's the person who like dispenses largesse and 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 performs acts of mercy with the poor and the new bishop sort of knocks him out of that job even though he was like so pious before theophilus is pretty put out by this new change in station and career path and he consults with a necromancer who helps him summon the devil and he sells his soul to the devil in order to gain the position of bishop this is an interesting detail for later he signs the contract with the devil in his own blood something we'll we'll see again with with the uh Faust story i'll be discussing so time goes by he has the position of bishop and he starts to become remorseful and he prays to the virgin mary for forgiveness after 40 days of fasting the virgin appeared to him and choose him out for putting her in this whole position. He begs for forgiveness, and Mary promises to intercede before God for him. This whole situation seems like it's working out. Theophilus is going to get out of being damned to hell by the devil, but Satan is unwilling to relinquish his hold over Theophilus. Satan is like, hey, remember me? And Theophilus wakes up with a copy of the contract on his chest. He then takes the contract to the legitimate bishop and confesses all that he's done. Together they burn this contract and Theophilus is so happy that he passes away in ecstasy. So yeah, that's a early version of the, oh no, whoops, honey, I sold my soul to the devil sort of meta-narrative. Alain Boreau is interested in Theophilus' story because it's an early example of the pact with the devil. And it starts to be, the story originally comes from the 6th century. It starts to be appealed to and cited in theology in the Middle Ages in the 12th and 13th centuries. And for Boreau, this is interesting because it's a time when Commercial contracts are starting to play a bigger role in the economy. And it's a time when agreements, packs are being used for the fulfillment of agricultural responsibilities in feudal situations. And all this is happening when new ways of articulating how authority is constructed and legitimate are also being articulated. So the idea, for example, that the sacraments of the church, like baptism, reconciliation or confession, the Eucharist, instead of just being these 
sources of of grace and contact with God that are filtered through priestly representatives, a new understanding arises that this is the sacraments are a kind of pact between God and the faithful community. And so this is unsettling for established church hierarchies because it's sort of an end run around their mediating function, it would seem. And you see examples of this in how certain Franciscan writers understand monastic vows as pacts between religious people entering religious orders and God that avoid the mediation of priestly power, basically. So this kind of creates some anxieties, and it's no accident that the idea or the figure of a contract becomes associated with threatening groups like heretics or rebels. And this is part of the context as to why the pact with the devil had so much force as an idea and a story in the Middle Ages, because people who were telling these stories who were situated in positions of power with the ruling classes and with the church detected a kind of communitarian populist impulse in forging agreements, forging modes of governance that could basically evade church authority. And so it's no accident that these are the people, this, this sort of idea of secret societies, heresies, and satanic conspiracies are all then grouped together with the imagery of the pact or the contract with the devil. And that makes sense as we're transitioning away from the 6th century and approaches to this story from the 12th, 13th, and 14th centuries into when the when Faust first makes his appearance in the world in the, the 16th century. And the 16th century is a time when we're well into the colonial adventures that would be the sort of seizing of primitive accumulation of capital to power the economic engines of Western Europe. And so, right, we're, we're entering, we're at the cusp of, depending on how you periodize, like modernity, capitalism, global colonialism and empires, and the Reformation and the wars of religion are all factors, as well as conflicts with the Ottoman Empire, all factors that sort of push the European empires into competition and into a rush to accumulate riches for their political projects and for the greater glory of God, of course. So like Theophilus, Faust is based on a historical person, Johann Georg Faust, who was born at in the second half of the 15th century. The hard thing is that there's such a wealth of legendary material about Faust that it's hard to sort of piece out what is historically reliable and what is just, you know, the fun stuff people made up. So may have been involved in the print trade, definitely traveled around German-speaking lands as an alchemist, astrologer, and magician. He was banned from certain places 
because of his astrology, also an accusation of sodomy um, from, uh, yeah, he was banned from Ingolstadt for being a necromancer and sodomite. But it seems like he also like was basically respected by some pretty major figures in the Reformation, um, like Joachim Camarius. People, you know, at that point, astrology was respectable. It may be controversial, but respect, you know, it had gained some respect as a as a natural a branch of natural philosophy. It seems interesting that the last recorded historical document related to him is in the city of Munster during the Anabaptist kingdom when some radical Protestants took over and tried to turn the city into the New Jerusalem from the book of Revelation. It ended pretty badly for them as they were communistic, but also like they were, they were basically unsettling and unseating traditional authority and were a danger to local lords and, and cities. Yeah, there are texts ascribed to Faust, and they're mostly they're works of magic, like or grimoires. There's a, there's a bunch of them. There, you know, of of like sort of different magical approaches that he would take to um, fortune telling, astrology, necromancy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, this is a real person, but the book. I'm going to be discussing is not so much a it's not a super historically reliable source on Faust but it is in some ways like the repository of the folklore the early folklore that had accumulated around him in the 16th century so the book I'm talking about appeared in German I'll read the German title first and then I'll I'll translate Historia von Dr. Johannes Fausten, dem weitbeschreiten Zauberer und Schwarzkünstler, wie er sich gegen dem Teufel auf eine benannte Zeit verschrieben, was er hier zwischen für seltsame Abenteuer geschehen, selbst angerichtet und getrieben, bis er endlich seinen wohlverdienten Lohn empfangen. So yeah, that's a mouthful. You, like, I don't know if you know this, but like they're... These early modern books always have these really long titles. <laughs> it's true not just in German, it's true in, in English and French. So yeah, it's the history of Dr. Johann Faust, the sort of well-known sorcerer and master of the, the black arts. It's a story of how he sold his soul to the devil and you know, at, a, at an appointed time, what he got up to what kinds of crazy adventures he had that he sort of brought about and how he did this until he finally received his uh, deserved payment or reward for his behavior. So yeah, it is uh, hinting at things are not going to end well. And we'll talk more about that. The Historia is written by an anonymous author. It was printed by Johann Spies in 1587 in Frankfurt am Main, pretty big pretty big city, pretty big publisher, and it went through many editions. It's it's described as being a chapbook, so it's like really popular literature, you know, with sort of body stories and crazy legends and poetry and all kinds of things. 
This is the book that would be the source for works I'll talk about subsequent to this episode, but uh, Christopher Marlowe's Tragical History of Dr. Faustus from 1589, which I see is like, actually, he really was on this pretty fast, seeing as this came out in 1587. And then hundreds of years later, uh, uh, Johann Goethe's Faust, Faust dramas. So yeah, this is, this, is, this is the sort of main source for those. So yeah, I'm reading this in German. You can download the whole thing for free. The German government scanned every book published in Germany in the 16th and 17th centuries. So they're all available in high quality scans. It's pretty great. There is an English translation. It's probably hard to get. I don't know. I'm doing it this way because I spent large part of my 20s reading old German books. I don't get the chance to do it quite as much because I do different projects, but I'm sort of living according to that that Bugs Bunny meme where he has like the dueling pistol and is like sort of looking down and the caption is, Lord, forgive me. I'm going back to the old me. And that's how I feel doing this. I'm going back to the old me with, with the old German books. All these books from the 16th century start with like dedications to princes, to local authorities. They include moral admonishment. In the preface to this one, the anonymous author makes this point that I think is funny. He says he's not going to reproduce any of the conjuration formulas in the book for fear that anyone might suspect him of presenting sorcery in attractive light. And so that's kind of the where the tensions of the book are. It's a it's it has a I guess I would say like a Lutheran sensibility. It's being ostensibly written to condemn Faust for being for the misery he's brought upon himself and the horror of it all. But it's like, of course, it's like fascinated with him. It's interested in him, but the book kind of has to keep warding off any suspicion that it's trying to glamorize him. It sort of reminds me of like how gangster movies are understood in like the early 20th century and throughout where it's like, is this supposed to be a warning? Does the, the bad guy, the, the sort of the anti-hero has to die at the end. And so the... <laughs> The text uh, doth protest a little bit too much here where it's like, no, like he's a really bad guy. Like we're going to make this really cool and entertaining, but like he's a bad guy. Also a funny thing in the first few pages in the preface, the author's like, you can't blame his parents. They tried to warn him. And so there's this emphasis on sticking up for family and family ties, you know, defending the parents. Also making this point that Faust gets adopted by a rich cousin in Wittenberg who pays his way in the first pages. It says that he wasn't just like a, he didn't like fall into this because they're trying to make it interesting. Right. It's like there's, there, there's a kind of tragic thing where he didn't get into the situation by being lazy or just by being a lout. He, they make a point that he had a really good education in theology because he went to Wittenberg, you know, where Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon taught and everything. So he, he's like examined by magistrates and like he has a serious trial by fire theology examination. And then he gets into other stuff. He gets, he gets really, you know, one of the things about the Reformation is that it's really into people learning uh, the biblical languages to study the text. And so he gets into learning all of these languages of the East. And so this is sort of what 
becomes part of his path to the dark side is that's like sort of his introduction to astrology and and demonology and stuff so yeah and then it's also he he goes he branches into medicine too he's going to be he's a healer as well as a specialist in this sort of more arcane knowledge so the story really begins with Faust going into the forest outside of Wittenberg, going down to the crossroads, drawing his magic circle, and doing the unnamed incantations to summon the devil. And the narrator, in an aside, describes how thrilled the devil must have been at this chance to get Faust, and here I'm going to just more or less directly quote, to sit on the monkey bench or the monkey stool and show him his ass. He's going to show him his devilish ass. He's going to make a fool of him. He's going to, he's going to, flip the script because Faust thinks that he's going to summon the devil. This is the whole point of, of uh, necromancy and, and other forms of like black magic that you could summon demons and get them to do what you want. That's what some Faust is. So is so arrogant. He's not just going to summon any demon. He wants to summon the devil and get the devil to do what he wants him to do. And the devil's like, I got plans for you, buddy. And so nothing happens for a while. And then there's like all these sort of shapes and sounds in the forest. There's a lot of noise. It sounds like gunshots. There might be music. There's singing. It seems like the forest is crowded. There are like acrobats bouncing around. It's, it's getting a little creepy. And Faust is like, maybe I need to leave the magic circle and get the heck out of here. But... This is the point. He's like a very proud person. And he's like, no, I'm going to stick through. And the text mentions how he was known to appeal to the book of Ephesians and Ephesians 6. And the idea that even the prince of the world, the devil, would be subject to the Christian. And so he reminds himself of this or that the narrator points to this. And he sticks it out. And he wants, you know, he wants to get the devil to do what he wants him to do. So at a certain point through this long night, dark night of the soul here, a fiery star falls down on the forest floor. Just like imagine like a meteor, a flame hitting the ground by Faust. And out of this emerges this fiery form of a person who is, is, is wandering around the forest and these different lights are emanating from him. And the fiery man starts to circle pace around the magic circle that Faust is sitting in again and again and again just on patrol for a quarter of an hour And so after doing this for a while, the text informs us that the devil decided that he was going to take the form of a gray monk that is a Franciscan monk. Don't really know what the author's beef with the Franciscans in particular was. But yeah, this is a text being told from, we'd say like a Protestant perspective. So Catholic religious orders are going to be suspect. And this is something that carries over later into Gothic horror fiction of the, the Romantic period in the 18th century, 19th century, 
with books like the monk like sort of creepy catholicism as a kind of campy horror signifier so after this pretty visually stimulating description we get a few scenes where faust summons the devil again to sort of talk terms they start talking terms in the forest they're like let's 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 keep let's keep having these meetings so the spirit who we saw appears again it's sort of taking the form of this gray monk over and over and faust is like okay like when do i get the devil and the spirit's like oh we got some rules around here there's a whole hierarchy to hell you just don't get to you know go to the end boss you, you have to deal with some intermediaries and like i'm gonna be the intermediary we do see the name mephistopheles uttered for the first time in these first few meetings this is the name of the spirit or demon who's going to be taking care of faust he's hell's uh personal brand ambassador basically for faust so in one of these meetings they're haggling and they're sort of setting down like what the terms of this deal would be and of course you have to know what faust wants faust like doesn't want to be an embodied human being anymore he wants to be like a devil or like a spirit he doesn't want to be encumbered with flesh anymore and he wants to be served by other spirits like him and he, he needs the he needs the spirit to be obedient and to maintain a role of service for him and sort of stick close to him in his house so right he wants the spirit to basically be his uh his tool his his sort of ultimate power and the spirit's like well, like just let's be clear here there's some conditions you're gambling with your life and with your soul and so you're going to have to swear with blood to really make this oath like have some force and again this this is totally like you know theophilus like the blood oath the pact it has to have all these signifiers it has to have this force so part of the other things he has to do he has to renounce the christian faith he has to announce that all true believing christians are his enemies he has to deny god of course so eventually they work through these terms and faust is going to go through with it they make the deal faust draws blood for sealing the contract he sticks his hand with a knife and it says in the text that he almost has inscribed upon his skin this motto or this these words flee before this man the deal is a little bit hard to follow in terms of why faust went for it more on that in a second the spirit's going to serve him for 24 years and then the spirit's going to get the body and soul which says to me that Faust went into this thinking, okay, I'm going to be able to scam these guys. I'm going to be able to trick them. They think they're going to get me. I'm going to have them. I'm going to be all powerful. After the contract is sealed with blood, I think I'm put on a put on the fire to, to harden the seal close to the close to the hearth. There's like this sort of raucous scene where the Mephistopheles character like creates all these illusions or something. There's like this it's like this weird tomfoolery where Faust, it seems like there's like a whole pack of hounds chasing a deer with hunters that come crashing into his chamber. It's all these crazy illusions. There's a, there's a fight between a dragon and a lion and the dragon wins. Everything's filled with fog. It's, it's like hard to see. 
there's a peacock squawking and like sort of fighting with its mate there's a giant steer that bows down before him there's an a, an ape that's chasing faust around and tries to kiss him then there's like a lot of sort of like cacophony of musical instruments and and faust is sort of like this is amazing like this is this must be like what heaven's like to have all this power and all these fantastical things happening it's also around this time that the text establishes that faust is not alone in the house that he's he inherited from his uncle or cousin he's got a younger servant christopher wagner who's looking after him and mephistopheles is basically keeping them like partying with like fine clothes fine wine fine food that he steals from princes so there's stories about like like this sort of thing interesting story faust at one point wants to get married he like i guess he's been carousing he wants to settle down i don't know he wants he's he's horny i don't know he you know he wants to get married and mephistopheles is like you can't do that again this sort of gets into the pack thing a little bit he's like you swore in this contract that you were going to be like an enemy of christianity and all christians that means you can't get married because marriage is one of god's estates on planet earth for ordering creation and we're about disorder we're about contesting god's reign so you can't go into one of god's institutions don't worry we'll you know mephistopheles will like kidnap or seduce young girls for you or the devil will create illusions that there are hot girls around you like we'll keep you occupied but you're not getting married when mephistopheles is is explaining to faust that you can't get married it gets a pretty ominous he's like you're gonna be ripped to pieces if you break this vow you're gonna be tortured and killed and then the devil's gonna have your soul and just then the devil appears not just mephistopheles but the devil appears and he's terrifyingly ugly and threatening and faust can't even look at him and it's like it's this one of these moments where it's faust thought he was he was getting away with something and now he's like man i got mixed up with the wrong people last sort of sections i'm going to talk about in this episode because we're not getting all the way through this book in one episode i'm about a third more than a third of the way through and i'm you know you're learning with me here as i explore the faust legend in all of its strange uh, permutations just thinking a little bit about my method what i'll actually be doing and how i'll be organizing my thoughts through this whole thing i think the fun thing about faust and other examples of of literature like this is that there's like this great storytelling component so i'll be talking about what happens in the story pointing to plot details or turns of phrase that i find illuminating and interesting i'll be talking about some of the background ideas that i see 
operating across these texts. But yeah, like basically I'm, I'm going through them and responding to them as I read them. It's sort of like an old school, like blogging log kind of, you know, the logging aspect of it. But yeah, for me, it sort of means like offering in audio form, a kind of representation of encountering these stories and trying to make sense of them, trying to like put them in context, trying to understand like what the power of the devil is in these stories and like what the danger of the devil is in these stories. The kind of, the first part of the book ends with some almost like disputations or interrogations between Faust and Epistopheles. One of the reasons that Faust got in this situation in the first place is because he's he has sort of like a a lot of intellectual curiosity he's ambitious he wants to know stuff about the way the world works he wants to know like the orders of the angels he wants to know how the earth was created he wants to know how the devil fell and what happened he wants to know how hell is organized and so mephistopheles tells him about the fall lucifer he sort of plays out some familiar stories from of like like the Prince of Tyre from, from Ezekiel. He elaborates on some stuff from Revelation 12. And one of the things that happens through each of these discussions is that Faust gets really depressed. Like when he learns about the full scoop on Lucifer's fall, he realizes that Lucifer was better off before he fell than after. And he's like, oh, I see myself in that. This is dark. I think maybe another depressing thing for Faust is that a lot of what he learns from Mephistopheles about the angelology, the demonology, the fall of Satan, it's all pretty conventional. Like it's all straight out of the Bible. It's all found in theologians that Faust would have been familiar with had he gotten this fine Wittenberg education. And so it's like part of the the joke. It's like you wanted this secret knowledge, but this is all kind of pedestrian. One of the strange things about this, it's like you you thought you would get some amazing premium intelligence from the devil and you're just kind of getting your Sunday school lessons read back to you. It's perverse and it must have been extremely frustrating. It almost strikes me as being part of the limitations that the text sets upon itself, that it won't give away anything too juicy about the conjuring or the spiritual realm or this sort of thing. The book wants to be sexy and alluring, but if it plays by its own rules, it's sort of campy. And that's that's that translates into the predicament that Faust finds himself with this uh, Sunday school demonology he's getting. And as he's starting to like learn about how screwed he probably is, he starts trying to think of ways that he can trick Mephistopheles or even the devil into getting him into... A situation whereby he'll be able to like get into heaven or at least sort of obtain some sort of heavenly pardon from God and then get his life in order, start going to church, start living a pious Christian life. And he's like, even if the, the devil gets my body in this deal, at least I can find an escape clause where my eternal soul will be saved. But like he's also recognizes and like sort of is false prey to his own depression he sort of sees himself as going about this in like a indecisive half-assed kind of way. Like he's, he's discouraged by his own inability to like get serious about saving his soul. In uh, one of the next conversations, Mephistopheles and Faust discuss the power of the devils and like what sorts of agency the demons have. 
And Mephistopheles makes a point of informing Faust that the devil and demons possess people as a way of getting them to do bad things. And the light bulb goes off for Faust. And he's he asks Mephistopheles, like, do you mean I was possessed when I got it into my head to make this contract with you crazy people? And Mephistopheles is like, yeah, why not? We're doing this all the time. And Faust is bummed out. And Mephistopheles keeps being like, I told you, this is a, you, you want these answers. This is all going to be really depressing for you. Like you, Ignorance is bliss. It's like the, that part in the Matrix when the guy's eating the fake steak in the Matrix. And he's like, I'd rather do this than like deal with having to fight this like effed up computer. But after he, you know, after Mephistopheles is like, I told you, he also sort of twists the knife because he's like, look, if you had been a better Christian, if you had been better prepared for dealing with the demons and had a kind of actual spiritual life, you would have been in a position to actually not get, not find yourself in this situation. It's your own fault. So it's sort of this double, double bind where it's like, we're out here possessing people, but like you should have been better prepared. It's like, we're doing it to you, but you also did it to yourself. And it's not an either or, it's like a both and. And the kind of uh, forewarned is forearmed sort of logic, like it's sort of funny. It, it's, it reminds me in some ways, and you, maybe it's not an accident. There's a kind of moralizing, take responsibility for yourself sort of edge to this that can connect a conservative Christian message in the 16th century to conservative right-wing gun enthusiastic Christian politics in the 21st century. But it's like saying your prayers and going to church is like almost made the equivalent of having your automatic weapons ready for when the home invasion comes or when, for when the, you know, one, the new world order is, is trying to uh, put you in a camp with the black helicopters or something. So the thing that keeps happening through all this is that Faust just gets really depressed. And that seems to be like the, the bitter irony of the whole situation. It's like you wanted all this knowledge. You wanted to get the inside scoop on how the spiritual world works. And we gave it to you and it's not going to make you happy. And Mephistopheles is like, this guy's got to have enough now. This guy's got to be like, we have to be breaking him soon. Like, the, you know, and you get the sense that like, they're not even counting on destroying Faust, the end of the, the, the sort of terms of the contract. They're like, we can, we can, we can destroy him before then. And Mephistopheles is counting on totally dispiriting Faust through these conversations in the last of these interrogations. Faust asks Mephistopheles, he's like, put yourself in my position. If you were a human, what would you do? And Mephistopheles is like, I would do everything to make sure that my soul was in good shape for the hereafter. Like I would be groveling before God. I would be the, the churchiest person in the entire world. And Faust is like, oh, okay. W would you rather be a human than be a spirit? And Mephistopheles is like, oh, definitely. I'd rather be a human. This sucks. <laughs> this really sucks. But guess what, pal? It's too late for both of us. So that's sort of the end of the first part. After this, like Faust, it's like Faust drops this whole, these like sort of depressing conversations and gets into making calendars and almanacs. This is sort of the part that seems to correspond to Faust, like the historical Faust's like activities as, as a, like a 
astrologer and necromancer and all that stuff. And uh, Mephistopheles is like, you're doing pretty well at this this calendar stuff and this this sort of like making predictions about what's going to happen. But like, you know, we demons live in the gloomy air and like higher up in the atmosphere. And we can, we're really good at doing this, this kind of uh, predicting the future business because we can see the movements of God's providential machine in advance of those who are impacted by them. And so it's, it's not clear to me whether Faust is using Mephistopheles to gain his knowledge for the calendars and the almanacs and the premonitions and the horoscopes and all that or, or what. Mephistopheles has refused to answer any more questions about the spiritual realm. I'm not, I don't think it's because he feels bad for Faust. I mean, he's just sick of it. <laughs> I don't know. But it seems to me that Faust's plan is to get is to shift the topics away from the kind of moralized side of the spiritual world and to get him to talk about like the the natural philosophy and the physics of how being a spirit works. And I think he's betting that if he can get enough knowledge about the sort of physics and metaphysics of the spirit world, he'll have enough information to be able to trick or force Mephistopheles into giving him intelligence that could save his soul. And so that's why he's so interested in like cosmology and, and all this other stuff. So yeah, stay tuned to see if Faust is able to use his cunning, his intellect, his newly acquired knowledge of the universe, astrology, and spiritual matter to trick the devil into releasing his soul, hey, maybe even releasing his body from damnation. We'll see. Maybe Theophilus knew a thing or two with the appeal to the Virgin Mary thing. Maybe Faust is going to get on that train, on on the Virgin Mary bandwagon. So thanks for listening. Stay with us. More Faust coming down the tracks. And uh, yeah, see you next time. This pod is made possible by support from the Satanic Horde, Asmodeus, Mammon, Leviathan, Beelzebub, and listeners like you. Thank you. Thank you.